Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmer. Our guest is an award-winning author of An Enemy Like Me, a World War II historical fiction that explores the idea that we are more like the enemy than we are different from them. She's also the author of Flowers Beneath the Snow, a historical fiction set in Ukraine. The story is ripped from the headlines and will help readers understand the current Ukrainian conflict and develop empathy and compassion toward their plight. This author's journey tells of growth and learning and the differences in her book marketing and launch strategy from book number one to book number two. Welcome, Terry M. Brown. Good afternoon, Terry Brown. How are you? I am. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> this whole journey of yours as an author, you know, from not having published before to having published and promoted a book, published first, then promoted. Yeah. <laughs> you having written, now you're on your third book, right? But yeah. having written your second book and had a different strategy on the rollout. Yeah. I can imagine there's a lot that you've learned with regards to visibility, marketing, promoting, and just the process of sharing more as an author and the value behind that. And even sharing in a way that it looks like me every time. Yeah. Consistency. You know, because I mean, now I pretty much have the same shape that's coming out. I always have my little, my picture with the little circle around it down in the corner. Like it's obviously my stuff, even if it doesn't have my photo anywhere else, or even if it doesn't have my book anywhere else, it's down there. You kind of know, you know, people are getting, even in the videos that I'm putting out now, I put my little logo down in the corner so that it's just there. And it makes a difference. We did the mini personal branding. Do you think any of that helped with that? Yeah, it did because it got me to start thinking about like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Like, because you started out with, you know, you need to brand and I'm like, what? You need what? <laughs> you know? I'm not a horse. I don't need one of those. Yeah. But I mean, it was just like, I don't even know what you, I didn't even know what you meant yeah. by it. And I'm still, I still don't have my brand, I don't think the way, like, I'm still figuring out what that is for me, but it's getting, it's getting closer. I've started to notice what people are saying to me. Like, what, what do they respond back about? Mm -hmm. And the things that I hear from people back are the things that they're paying attention to. And I've, I've noticed like people, for some reason, it surprises me. I put out a word of the day once a week, the number of people who respond to that and talk to me about it, send me words. Hey, here's a good word you might want to use for your, for some reason that strikes a chord with them. They like that. So, you know, I'm learning kind of like the other thing that everybody loves is on Saturday, I do a a meme, something funny, a funny saying or whatever. Everybody loves those. I don't know that it's getting me any business, like in terms of I don't know that it's selling any books, but people are getting to know who I am. Yeah. From the point of view of engagement, uh, I can see there's now uh, versus maybe 
when we first met the even I am noticing what you're doing online. You're now employing what we call social listening. Okay. Okay. So now in, instead of just putting stuff out and, you know, hoping somebody likes it, <laughs> you're actually now putting stuff out and then listening to the response you're getting. And figuring out what's what's working. The other thing is, is I've been thinking about like, what is my brand? Like, what is it about me that makes me me and makes my readers want to talk to me versus some other writer? Right. And, you know, you and I talked, you helped me come up with the hashtag research junkie. Oh, thank you. And yeah. (laughs) And I had the other day I had this idea. I haven't started it yet because literally I had it maybe three days ago, but in my newsletter, I always, I have one newsletter that I put out that always has a meet, you know, a particular character from a book that I've read and I, you know, do a little blurb. I think that's really good. I get a lot of people say, Oh, I I did read that book or I'm going to read that book or whatever. But the other thing is, is I'm going to start having a hashtag research junkie, just a little paragraph of something I learned researching. Ah, this is your promote before you publish. Okay. So you're doing it now, but this is part of what could be done going forward. It's great to do it at any time. Right. It won't discount the value of it in any way, but you got another book coming out. Right. I did a lot different between the first book and the second book. Yeah. A lot different. I'm still building my brand and those things that I did different, I'll do different. I'll do that same thing. But now I'm, I'm moving into the next part, yeah. which is I now have two books. People are beginning to know who I am. I need, I need people to know me, like me, be trust. telling their friends about me. Yeah. No like and trust. Yeah. So, and referral because referrals yeah. go. It's better right. than anything at all. Right. And and you do have some of that because I've experienced it myself. I mean, I, I talked to Andy. So Andy's somebody that I met through Podmatch, like I met you, but he'd already known about you. Yeah. You know, you guys are already kind of in a community together. And that was great. Uh, you know, there's some other things that have happened. Like I'm not going to recount them all, but I, I guess where I'm going with this right now is that you're doing so well with the promote before you publish end of things with the second book. Yeah. Now, now that you are working on the third book, what's the title of the third book? Not yet? Okay. It's, uh, what I'm calling it right now is The Granny Woman, an Appalachian Tale. Mm-hmm. I am not 100% sold, but it's going to have those elements in it. So even if it switches a little, I think it will be very obvious that it's still the same book. I'm... Yeah. So the gra- so Granny Woman is is what they call the, a healer in the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. But I I put Granny Woman out there to a couple of the book clubs that that have had me come, and all of them were like Granny Woman. You don't need both of those. And I said, except that that's a term, Granny Woman. That's what they called them. And and they said, oh, well then that makes more sense. But then someone said. Well, if it's an Appalachian term, maybe if you had a subtitle, you know, an Appalachian tale, then people kind of, oh, understand the, so I don't know. I'm it still. Not, it may not need to be part of the title, but yeah, I get it. And so um, research junkie. Yep. Hashtag. 
Hashtag research this, junkie. For this next book, not for an enemy like me, which was the second book, not for um, Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, which was the first book, but research junkie for Appalachian Mountain Woman. And, and do some of the things that I'm finding as I'm doing my research. Absolutely. And not only the things that you're finding, but the, the ideas that you're having. And it doesn't have to be Appalachian um, Mountain Woman. It, it can be anything part of that research. Right, right. So if it's the setting, when you do research junkie hashtag, it's hashtag setting. Hashtag character development. Hashtag. So what we're now doing is talking to your writing community. Okay. Okay. And and also hashtagging interests. So if there's somebody else out there that's a research junkie, which I know there is, Guy Morris is. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there are some. I mean, uh, but it depends on what vein, right? There's so many different things because you're doing so well now <laughs> and you're in the the momentum of things, right? Right. right. That, it's so much easier to do now. Well, I've got so many things now that are, they kind of happen, not automatically. I still have to put a little time into them, but not as much time. I know how to, I know how to work Canva. I can literally think, oh, I need to throw together a, a post real fast on. I go to Canva. I, I know exactly what size I want to pull up. I know I've got several backgrounds that if I don't have something in mind, I know I just choose because I know I, I, that will work great. I throw the quote in. I stick my little thing in. I, I throw my hashtags about. Poof, it's out. It may not be as effective as taking more time and doing a video, but it's it's fast and it's furious, and I can have it out just in a matter of moments. So there's a lot that – and I can even do a video quick, quickly now <gasps> terry's doing video what somebody let me see her name was jennifer Jen yeah jennifer suggested that i do that <laughs> um and it is still not comfortable to me i feel I mean, really uncomfortable with it but i just decided you know what i feel uncomfortable okay if everybody can tell then everybody can tell i'm not worried about it and we'll just see how it does. Well, what's interesting is my, so I took a, a screenshot of my numbers for Instagram 30 days ago. Yeah. And the screenshot showed how much interaction I'd had in the last 30 days and how much of it was people that followed me versus people that didn't. Right. Well, I've almost doubled the amount of interaction that I've had and I now have like almost half of what's happening are people who do not follow me. Okay. Why? Do you why know what? Why? Why I think because I'm doing, I'm doing video. But what are you doing with the video? What is I'm it being? Doing? I'm just being me. Right. But it's for the people who are following you and the, the platforms that you're putting out it out on, mm -hmm. you're entertaining us. You're engaging yeah. us. Well, and I'm I'm willing to do, be stupid. I I've Thank I you. sang I sang Thank on you. one. Thank you. I yes. mean, you know, one of these things. Like, I mean, it's stupid. I loved it. Are and then and me? then the stupid one about the eggs. 
because, you know, the price of eggs has skyrocketed and my husband wanted eggs for dinner. And I actually said to him when he said that, my God, what else do you want? Gold bullion? You know, and we both laughed. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to take a couple pictures of these eggs. I bet I could do something funny with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like serving uh, like prime rib for dinner. Seriously. Eggs. Yeah. It's like, you know, what did I get my husband for Valentine's Day? (laughs) Real raw, relevant. And right now it's part of what's going on. It's culture. It's what's happening. Yeah. And you're engaging your audience. And then the other thing that I've been doing is, is I looked up, and this is part of my research junkie feel, is I love weird holidays. So nice. I was looking up weird holidays that were book holidays. Okay. And yeah. I've now got those in a calendar and I'm going to be putting out little videos for all of the little weird book holidays. Right. Did you go through national calendar? I don't know where I went. I, I think I just put in weird book holidays and... Just Googled it and just pulled things off and found like four or five different calendars and combined the ones. There's some, there's some that I looked at. It's like, I don't have any idea what to do with that. So I wasn't going to do anything, but there are others. It was like, oh, I could read a little bit here, here. I could do this. This would be funny. I can do this. I'm going to, you know. It opens up the door for ideas and creativity. So, but national calendar is really good because you have the national month, but then you also have the national days and there are many of them. Well, there's, I know. And there's there's everything. And then the other thing I did was I looked at, at the, some of the more famous authors that everybody knows. And I just have a little happy birthday clip that I use and I've just put happy birthday, whoever it is. Little John birthday Steinbeck. clip, John Steinbeck, sure. throw it in there. And I don't know, I don't understand what captures people's attention yet. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I feel like I'm throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. Because um, sometimes something will do like unbelievably well and I'll think, what happened? And then something that to me is even better and funnier gets nothing. It's like, I don't understand. <laughs> now, it could be to the timing. Sunflowers Beneath the Snow is mm-hmm. getting a, a push from Enemy Like Me. It is. So I'm not I'm not really advertising sunflowers anymore. Right. Like, in most of my social media posts, it's an Enemy Like Me. The right. only time I bring up sunflowers is it's won a few awards, and if it wins something, I'll throw it out there. I do occasionally mention it in conjunction with an enemy like me. Um, for instance, if I'm saying something to book club people, mm-hmm. I'll say an enemy like me and Sunflowers Beneath the Snow would make a great book club book. Sunflowers Beneath the Snow is actually selling more now than it was before, even though I'm not marketing Sunflowers Beneath the Snow. But now that an enemy like me has come out, it seems to be selling better than it was before, despite the fact I'm not marketing it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think it's because people who didn't know about me at all, who have found an enemy like me, are now going back to get sunflowers. Well, it's like this. When we like the writer and the author and we like and, what they've written, you go and find everything they've got. Right. Right. And so I, I feel like what that means is, is when book number three comes out, that both book number one and number two will continue to sell better. And that by the time I'm at book six, seven and eight, 
I'm going to really see, you know, movement here. It's just, you've got to start somewhere and you start with one. And when you only have one, you can only push one book so far yeah. by yourself. By yourself. Yeah. yeah. By yourself. And, and it helps to have a community and a team right. and, and other people that are raving about you because that's the raving fans. I mean, there's a book out about that too. And it's probably, I don't know, seventies, eighties. I don't even know when it was published. Um, but that's a good one. So, and then like another thing is one year ago, I had a newsletter that had three people on it. Yeah. And one of them was my daughter. Right. So like it didn't even count. The newsletter was pretty worthless. I, as of this morning, I am at 395. Now okay. 395 is not anywhere close to where I want to be, but that's 395 people that now pay attention to what I have going out there. Open rate and click throughs. Have so you my open, my open rate is 72%. Oh my gosh, Terry. That's that unheard good? of. Oh, oh. Yeah. If you okay. get, a lot of people don't even get 16%. Oh no, I have 72% open yeah. rate. Um, and then like I sent out one at the point that it only had 24% open rate which it had only been out an hour. So I don't count that yet because, you know, people haven't, some people haven't even gotten to their email yet. Like um, I already had, I already <laughs> had 15 links that had been clicked. Very good. Okay. So, wow. Well, keep up the great work. I just think that the people who have joined, so a lot of people that have joined my newsletter, about half have come from in-person events where I have spoken to a group and I say to them, hey, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, sign up right here on this sheet. I'll go get you into the into the system. So the people who've seen me really, they want to be on it or they wouldn't have given me their, you know what I'm saying? They aren't doing it for any other purpose. Yeah. And you can um, do, you don't have to do that just at in-person events either. Like every podcast. Every, oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I'm just saying that where I seem to get about half of what I've gotten. Good. Yeah. It's from in-person. And I think those people are really, this, these are my local fans. Mm -hmm. I had, I had my book launch party. Right. And I had 52 people come. Oh, Terry, congratulations. Now, I had an event in the same location one year ago and I had three people that I asked to come as plants because I was afraid that no one would come and how embarrassing if like one person came, you know, so right. I had three friends come and with those three, I had 11 people. What gives you the drive to keep doing it all? I love it. There's a lot, though, a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of moving it takes parts. a lot of energy. And I, especially with everything that you've gone uh -huh. through, so you've had some challenges. Yeah. There has to be motivation somewhere to keep you going. I love writing. I really, really love it. I think that what I write has value and that I want people to read it. And I've learned the only way that people are going to read it is if they know it exists. And that the only person who cares enough about my book to get people to know it exists is me. Mm -hmm. Nobody else cares as much as I care. There are people who care, but I'm the only one who's going to stand up on the table and dance with the book. Yeah. Like, and I like this toot your own horn Tuesday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like toot your own horn. If I'm not willing to stand up and toot my own horn, who's going to? Exactly. 
you know, and there are a lot of places that I've looked that, you know, offer marketing packages and I look at them and I think I can do that better. You know, like, oh, we can get you one podcast and one review. And I'm like, yeah, I can get myself 50 podcasts and 50 reviews. So, you know, until you can do that for me, I'll do it myself. Not everybody can do that. And and you are definitely very unique individual to be able to take all of this on. Uh, you know, and, and not every writer's in a position where they can dedicate that much time and energy to both writing and then marketing and and promoting and distribution and deployment, as well as a podcast tour. Now, how has your podcast tour been? It's been good. So with um, an enemy like me, I've already been on 18 podcasts. Good for you. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's great. Have you had but, articles written about you as well and blog posts and mm-hmm. the like? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've had over two dozen blog posts mm-hmm. uh, that are book reviews. And I've had a couple of author interviews, a couple of guest posts, a couple of what they just called like a spotlight. They didn't really review the book, but they put the cover up and, you know, put the back of the book blurb and here's where you can buy it and here's where you can learn more, which is better than nothing. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much, you want to talk about my book? How would you like to do that? What's the best way that that will work for you? Here, right. what information do you need from me? Let me give you my media kit. Take anything from there that you want and use it freely. You know, like, Now, please. in doing that, do you ask, okay, like, do you actually ask them to have a certain number of followers? Or do you care how much? Yeah. Nope. Nope. Um, maybe someday that'll be something that matters to me. But right now if I can get it out so that Google is picking it up mm-hmm. when someone Googles an enemy like me, I don't want them to come up with three things, right? I want it to be pages. And the only right. way to do that is to get it out there. I don't care if they have three followers, if you'll read it and put it out there, I'm going to market it too. I'm marketing it to everyone that I know. I'm going to put it out there. Maybe you'll get four readers after this, who knows? But I mean, the point is, is that, it's going to be picked up by Google. And when you, when you Google an enemy like me, because you're curious, well, what kind of book is this? And what do I think it's going to be everywhere? Okay. So let me just tell you this. I, I just, while we're talking no, I don't normally do this because I really okay. prefer to give you hundred percent of my, attention. that's all right. That's all right. Um, Chrome. I went to yeah. Chrome. I went to Google. I went an enemy like me. I went through a browser that I actually use on a regular basis. So it may have actually picked up some of my previous searches and whatnot. Okay. You come up as the first one on Goodreads. Then you come up as the second one on Barnes and Noble. Okay. And then there's some YouTube stuff that actually relates to songs. Yeah. But then there's Atmosphere Press. So then I did it through Safari, which I don't use as regularly with a browser, like a Google book. Google Gmail account attached with a, mm-hmm. a browser I'm searching in on the regular. Same idea. Okay. You come up as the top four or five um, with some of the, you know, there's some of this videos um, that are songs like. Enemy yeah, like- there's a song out that has something to do with enemies in me that does come up. If you, if you put an enemy like me in quotes, you yeah. get a lot more of me. Absolutely. But at the same time, you're doing quite well. Book one and book two, you seem to have a bit of a two, three character storyline. 
I like it. Oh, that works great. Yeah. yeah. Now is your sec- uh, third book following the same vein? Yeah. So I have three characters in this book too. A grandmother, her daughter, and her granddaughter. The reason I like three character stories like this, generational stories, is it gives very good reason why people would have very different opinions and you don't have to create it. I don't have to, I don't have to come up with a bizarre reason why two people of the same age in the same town who grew up in the same way see things completely differently. It's, it's apparent why they're going to life has been different for them. You know, I I look at it the way I see life versus the way my daughter sees life is different. Right. And you look at the way my mother sees life and it's different. And it, it just, it lends itself so naturally to exploring a topic without having to create fake reasons why you're exploring it. You, you just, it naturally happens, even yeah. in the conversations, because one of the other is going to look at one of the other, you know, generations like, what are you talking about? Like, why is that even a thing to you? Yeah, the cultural influences are so different. Yeah. Direct, even looking at children my niece's age compared to my daughter's age because there's a seven year gap and then my age where I'm like three times the age of my child (laughs) currently (laughs) and then my mom you know so it's very very relatable see and I think that's true too that's the other thing that I love is it is relatable most most of my readers not all of them but most of my readers have children well, it's the family dynamic, Terry. And, and you- so they sit and they say, oh, well, I've had a mother, you know, <laughs> like, like whether, whether their mom is still around or not, they've had one and they, right. they, they recognize this dynamic. They yeah. have children. They recognize this dynamic. They recognize themselves as that person in the middle. If they're older, they recognize themselves as that person at the top looking back. If they're younger, they recognize themselves as the young person looking up at, you know, so it. I just feel like it's really a good way to grab people's attention and help them be able to, I, w- I want my readers to step into the character's shoes. Right. And I think the only way you can do that is if the character is somehow relatable. Yeah. So I can tell you with Sunflowers Beneath the Snow, the character I'm, I stepped into the most was not the grandmother, but it was the mother, not the daughter. The, y- Yvette. The mother. Yeah. 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 And then with regards to an enemy like me, now I like what you did there now, but when you talk about the three characters that you give focus to, they're men, not women. And that, that was a shift. It uh, was, it was. To the gender. And I relate more to probably the child in that one more than I do the father or the grandfather. And I'm not sure why that is. And it might, yeah, it's different. If I found it for me, I found the fact that I related to the child more than I did the father versus the, the mother child in, in right. the sunflowers beneath the snow in an enemy like me there. I loved the point of view of all three. It's a very different point of view for the grandfather compared to the father and a very different point of view for the child. But I think the part that had me 
and and this is like kind of a, a bit of a review because I haven't really actually done this yet. I don't think for you. I, I haven't even sent you an email and given you my feedback, have I? <laughs> no. Uh -uh. So I generally do do that when I'm a, a beta reader. I will give feedback so that, you know, you can put a review out and say, right. okay, or whatever. Um, but this, I, I think this would be a nice piece to pull out of our, our interview and, and, and share. The child had, there were elements of the child's point of view that nobody else could see or relate to. And I think that anchored with me because as a child growing up, I feel like there were lots and still today, there's lots of part of me that nobody else in my family, mother, grandmother, grandfather, father, can relate to or even know exist. And so it's interesting. Out. Yeah. And I, and I anchored with them. So it's interesting. My dad was four years old when his father went off to war, oh my God. which is why I picked that age because my dad insists that he remembers his father leaving. Right. And my grandmother, so his mother insists that there's no way that he has that memory. Well, and and how she, and when she died, oh my. she, she kept, she insisted. And my thought was she could not handle it. Possibly. It was too hard for her. It was too, there was too much angst and sadness mm. around his leaving for her to embrace the fact that this four-year-old felt it. Right. And it was, what do you do with that as a mother? It, it was too hard for her. So she, instead of embracing it and allowing him to have had this, she yeah. denied it. Oh. And so, so he, I, he never got that opportunity to really express the things that he felt when mm. his father went off to war. And that's part of where this book came from was that idea that he can't be the only four-year-old who's been told you don't have a memory of that, or right. you didn't feel that, or right. you may remember that, but it certainly didn't affect you. You were only four. Yeah. 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 Because that there are, okay. So, but there are generations like, and I won't say that this is what's gone on in my family, but I can say that uh, the boomer generation could possibly have that view because we didn't have the awareness around what the mind and the psyche was capable of and from what age it started. Right. right? So right. that's absolutely, I could totally understand people relating to it on, on that level as well. So question around that is like your dad's mom. Mm -hmm. um, are there elements of that in Jacob's mom? Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's so Jacob's start. the soldier. Yeah. Okay. He's a first generation German American. So his mother and father came from Germany. He was born in the United States. He is, he's as patriotic as they come because his family came here to give him a better life. And, you know, he's, he's American a hundred percent, except that he lives in a German community in the United States. And so despite the fact that he feels American, he speaks German, he eats German food, he shops in stores with German names. I mean, because that's what 
people did. When they came to the United States, they would find locations where other people from their culture lived, and then they would slowly assimilate over time, right? And then he meets Bonnie, who's totally, that's going to be his wife, totally out of his league, but he meets her and they fall in love. And they get married and they have a baby and he's sure that that life is happily ever after. Yeah. And then World War II hits. And he's he's at a tug of war. Like, is he supposed to Yes, yeah, he's supposed to stay home with his family? Because he loves his family. Or is right. he supposed to go to war because right. he loves his country? And in the end he goes to war because he feels like it's the only way to love both. Because he's yeah, trying to protect sure them. safe, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's trying to protect them. He's trying to protect them from the invasive forces. And he's also trying to protect them from the fact that people don't like Germans at this point. They're afraid of them, just like in today's world, there's groups of people that we fear because of things that have happened. And so we, we, we throw up the fear. And what do you do when you fear something? You try to contain it in some way. Yeah, or push it away completely. Pu- Right. You know, like, like you've either got to, got to put it in a cage or you've got to eliminate it. Control of some. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what, it's a very, it's a very human instinct. It's yeah. a, it's a fear. It's, you're trying to somehow protect yourself. Right. Right. And so he looks at this and it's like, what am I supposed to do? So he ends up going to war, but he yeah. thinks he's going to fight the Japanese and yeah. he can do that. Because the Japanese don't look like him and they don't sound like him. They don't eat like him. They don't think like him. They're not him. And what's easier, they're the real enemy, right? The other ones can't possibly be the enemy. And then all of a sudden, what happens? He's in the European theater and he ends up in Germany and and he realizes he's literally one generation away from being on the other side of this war. So it's that whole idea that an enemy like me. Yeah. You know, and I want people to, to, when they read the story, I want them to... Like, yes, it's a World War II genre. I mean, that's where it's located. But look in your own life. You know, we all have us's and them's. Yeah. We, we, we do it naturally. It's something that we do. How beneficial is that to you? Yeah. Because the truth is, is that you're probably more like them than you are different from them. And what would happen if you focused on those similarities instead? Be a whole different world, Terry, wouldn't it? Yes. And I know it sounds so almost like Pollyanna, like, you know, I just, you know, oh, skip through and we're all going to sing Kumbaya. But you can have as many laws as you want to have. As many rules about how we're going to treat people. But the truth is, is it's going to come down to individuals one on one. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've used this as an example to kind of, because it's not anything that anyone gets upset over. Let's say that you dislike blonde authors. Right. Right. So you dislike me because I'm a blonde author and you just dislike me and you all blonde authors. But now Jennifer and Terry meet. We've had conversations Mm -hmm. and you decide I actually kind of like Terry. So it challenges all my beliefs now. doesn't it? Right. So typically if it's one person that you've met, you're going to make me an exception to your rule. Right. I still dislike blonde authors. But, but I like Terry. <laughs> what if you meet seven or eight blonde authors that you like? Yeah. What if you meet 15? What if you meet 30? Okay. Eventually you're going to have too many people that are not part of your rule. You're going to have to change your rule. 
Right. And so it comes down to one on one on one on one. If there's a group of them that that scares you somehow, that makes you think things that that you would never verbalize out loud because you know better. Right. Go meet them. Well, like bikers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, name the group. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and, and if you meet people one on one and you focus on the things that bring you together, those commonalities, the things that would separate you really don't matter so much. Let's talk about the philosophy around war. Yeah. So war is a government in, a government thing. And then they get governments ordinary people to go fight it. Right. But governments are run by people. Yeah. But they often start getting a life of their own because what happens is, at least in the United States, what is happening is people become politicians for life. Mm-hmm. It's become instead of you come in for your four year term or your eight year term and then you go back to doing what you used to do. It's become an institutional in, in itself. You have to have a lot of money and you have to have a lot of power and you have to be willing to sell your soul in order to get and stay there. They don't see it that way. No, no, I know they don't. But, you know, yeah. whoever who sees who sees it that way when they're the ones right. in it. Right. Right. right? So <clears throat> they they get, I don't know, a desire for power or land or money or whatever it is they're looking for right. at this particular time. Yeah. Right. And so they start the rhetoric and they get people all hyped up because they use the right words like your freedom is at stake. The, your way of life is at stake. These people are trying to take from you. So you begin fearing. Then the war comes and then people run in to, to, to defend their country. But the people who started the war are sitting at home. Right. And the people who are fighting the war, my grandfather fought in World War II. The reason Mine that, too. the reason I wrote this book is he rarely spoke about the war. Rarely. Right. Sometimes he would talk a little bit about the days after the war when he was still in Germany, but not yet home. Right. But there wasn't really war at that point. The only thing he ever said to me, I was probably 14 or 15. He said, we're German American. He said, I always wondered if the person on the other side of my gun was a cousin. Right. You know, and some of them were like 10 years old. Yeah. Like I, it's just appalling. How and so, you know, I, I don't really, I try not to get political. I really don't want to be political. I'm an author. Right. I'm, a, I'm a historical fiction author. I'm not a politician. I'm not, I'm not an activist. Um, I hope people from all walks of life, regardless of what they believe, read and learn and listen and, you know, Question. So I, I try not to get too political. Yeah. But the truth is, is that governments start wars and people like you right. and me and your your children and your grandchildren and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins, they're the ones that fight it. And not only are is it just the soldier, but it's anyone who supports that soldier in any way at home. Right. And it isn't just during the 
three, four, five, ten years of war. No. It's for generations. Yeah, and generations and generations because it's in the DNA. Well, and then what happens is, is like in this story, um, little William is without his father for two years. And then when his father comes home, he's a different man. Right. He's not the same man that left because he's seen things. And so this affects William. We see William as a grown man looking back. And he's not the father he could have been had his father been a different father. Which means that the son that we do not meet in this story is probably not the same father that he could have been. And who knows what's happening to his kids. Right. It's yep. generational. There's a ripple effect for sure. Yeah. I, I'm going to uh, get like right down to tips for other authors because boy, you're rocking this. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing is, is you've got to start thinking about marketing before you have anything to market because you're not just marketing your book, you're marketing yourself. And you want people to be excited that your book is coming out. And the only way to do that is to let them in and let them know you're writing it. So you've got to start. So that's that's from having a website to having social media to start to build your newsletter to figuring out what it is that you want to put out as content. I mean, that's a very hard thing. It isn't You're not going to just sit down and say, oh, well, I know what I'm going to do. It'll probably go through a dozen or more iterations before you start really coming up with, oh, this feels good to me. But you've got to start thinking about it. Stuff I researched said, you know, three months ahead of time. Well, three months ahead of time, you need to be ready to put it all into action. That means you've got to start building it long before then. Right. So that's think that you're going to write a book. Yeah. Practice having conversation around it. So that there can become clarity. And you learn what is it, what is it that you're trying to do here? Right. You know, and whatever that is, it doesn't matter what the answer is. There isn't a right answer. And it can evolve. Yeah. And it's okay to evolve. It needs to have the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's the first thing is you've got to start building this platform. So like I didn't start building a platform until my book was out. I didn't even know, I didn't even know that was something I needed to do. Right. And, you know, I feel like I've been really lucky. I've found really great people to help me understand quickly. And I've just dove in. The other thing is, is at all, you have an amazing community around you. Well, and I'm just one of those people that I, I, I'm not going to fear technology and I'm not going to fear what I don't know. The worst thing that can happen is I don't do it well. And you learn. And then I learned something from it. So I move on. I mean, that's, um, I think the second thing is you can't do everything. Yeah. You know, I, there are books out there like, you know, a thousand and one things you can do for marketing. Oh my God, don't look there. When am I going to write? Well, and a thousand and one, which of those is best? Well, you need to, you need to really kind of like think about what is your personality and what is going to be best for you? I love talking. I love talking. I love talking to people. I could talk for hours. So podcasting is fantastic for me. Right. Because people ask me questions and then you can see them going, you know, like, we need you to shut up now so we can get our next question in. Um, But the envelope opens because once a question's asked, the brain has to come up with some sort of an answer. 
Right. Well, and, and so that's, that's another thing is you kind of have to look at like, what really feels good to you? Yeah. Um, I don't blog very often. I have a couple of things. I put my newsletter out twice a month and I usually grab something from my newsletter and throw it into my blog for anyone who happens to find that. But I don't push the blog because I don't know what to put in it. I'd rather talk on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk and about use that. that information and put that out there that way. That's yeah. what's better for me. I don't know that that's great for everybody, but it works for me. So right. you have to kind of figure that out. That'd be my second thing. So like, don't get a thousand and one ways. You'll, <laughs> you'll pull out all your hair. There's no reason for that. It's called overwhelm and it makes everything stop. Yeah. yeah then you just you freeze like a deer in the headlights. Yeah. The third thing is, is there are certain things you have to pay for and there are certain things you don't have to pay for. And you need to figure out which those are. Do not, just because someone's charging money for it doesn't mean it's the best way to go. Right. I had someone tell me that getting on their podcast was going to, you know, do me these great things and, and I'm listening and then they want to charge me $1,500 for a 30 minute slot on their podcast. Okay. And I thought for $1,500, I can do a lot. Yeah. I do not believe that their podcast is going to get me enough exposure that it would be worth that money. So just because someone charges money for it doesn't mean it's good. Right. On the other hand, sometimes you do have to pay for something. Right. So you have to really look and, and decide like, how much money do I have to put into this? Mm -hmm. And where am I going to spend it? And what makes sense? You know, for me, I've learned, like, I love Canva. I use Canva all the time. You yeah, can pay, I think it's $20 a month to have the professional Canva. Yeah, I have it too. Yeah, It's worth it to me because I, agree. Yeah. I use, <clears throat> I use so many of those features every day, every day that it's worth it to me. I agree. On the other hand, um, I'm also using ClipChamp to make Ooh. little videos. Yeah. I'm not paying I have not found that anything that they offer paid is not something I can't get free somewhere else. You have access to tools and uh, you're yes. familiar with more tools than maybe somebody else might be. And you might have a little bit more interest in time in going to find them. And, and so, but see, once again, you have to think what is best for me. Right. And then what am I going to put my money into? The other thing that I would say about that is, is if you're putting your money into it and you recognize you know, I'm not really using this, then stop putting your money in it. Right. Like, don't just keep paying for something because that's what you've been doing all this time. I had to learn that lesson myself. I was yeah. paying for Adobe Creative and I went into it like four times and I went, oh my gosh, this is $45 a month. Woo. Okay. And, yeah. and I should have been, I, you know, I could have been putting more time into it, but I wasn't. So when I can, maybe I'll sign up again. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the other thing is, and it's okay to change your mind. It's right. okay to say that what I want to do right now is I need the, you know, whatever for this amount of money. And then later you say, I really don't need that anymore. Instead, I'd like to put that money toward this thing. It's okay. You know, how has the promote before you publish journey with the enemy like me versus Sun, the debut with sunflowers beneath the snow. How has that been for you? So I put together so that I have a, a, a tour 
happening. Something is dropping onto the internet every single day with an enemy like me. It started January 1st and it's going through. It was supposed to end, but I had six extra people who were almost begging. And so it's going through March the 6th. And, you know, that's fine by me. I would have continued it through April if I had enough. Right. But the difference is, is that the book started selling immediately. It's already gaining. I mean, I get people contacting me. Ooh, I heard about your book. Ooh, hey, there are book clubs who are already calling and finding out, can I come and do? And it's just a different experience. People right. know I know that I'm here. They know the book is, is out. And there is enough chatter happening that people that don't know me are starting to hear the chatter. Right. With sunflowers, there was no chatter. And then right. when I finally created chatter, the only people hearing it were people who were close enough to me that they could hear it, which was good. I needed them to hear it. Right. But it's it's moving beyond, you know, my neighbors. Right. You know, I tell everybody I've become a, a big character in my tiny little town. <laughs> so what but do you there's a there's a huge world out there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you had some challenges. There were some setbacks on that journey. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. So what do you think of all that you did? What would be the, the three top three things that you know you would take you're taking into the third book, the pre-launch for the third book, the top three? So I have people that have reviewed Sunflowers Beneath the Snow and An Enemy Like Me. And without a doubt, I will contact those people. They've already liked me. They've already reviewed the other two. I've gotten good reviews from them. Are these advanced readers, beta readers that read the book before you publish? Yes. Yeah, so, so I get the book out to them like that three months beforehand. And yeah, I'm on that list, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what I, what I did with, what I did with a lot of them was if I knew that they had a, um, a, a outlet, like they've got the blog that they write reviews. I asked them, is there a particular day that would work best for you? And I, I had it so that I wasn't getting eight things on the 4th of January and nothing for eight days. Right. Sometimes I had a couple things that happened on the same day, but generally it was stretched out over that two months. So that's the second thing that I would do is I'd make sure that, that I think that's the best way to do it. You can only put things onto social media so often. I can't put 18 things out every day and then nothing for days. Right. You know, so to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is, is, is you've got to figure out which reviews like I think it's always good to have a couple of editorial reviews mm -hmm. they're they cost money and you have to figure out which ones matter and where do you think you're going to get something that you can quote and use right and there's something that's significantly different from what's already out there yeah or what yeah. you've already kind of created yeah so my question would be this is this is a great strategy, by the way. If you didn't consciously employ it, I know you did employ it. Uh, you are now going to be on uh, my podcast for the second time, right? And so, did you approach the podcast hosts that you 
been on shows for and say, so, oh, the book coming out. Yeah. So the 18 that I've been on, I think 17 of them I had been on previously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Are what's you doing that going into the third book? I'll do it again. Yeah. Okay, let's get in you fact, <laughs> in fact, all of them, all of them have talked with me. You know, these 18 have talked with me and then the, they inevitably ask, what are you working on now? And most of them have said on air, can't wait. Make sure you contact us when that one comes out. We'd love to have you on again. Ditto. (laughs) So, but, but see, that's the thing that, that people don't understand about marketing. Mm -hmm. I think when I got started, marketing took up probably 80% of my day. Mm-hmm. marketing now takes up 10 or 15% of my day okay. because I already now have a good machine working. I have people that I can contact. They know me. We already have an established relationship. I can send out an email that says, Hey, great news. My third book has been accepted by the publisher. Nice. And those people, because they now know me, respond to me, usually in the first email. Right. And if not, I'll send a second one and say, hey, hope this didn't end up in your spam file. And then I hear from them. Right. Yeah. You know, and so it makes it a lot easier. When I got started with Sunflowers, nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew what the book was. And it was like digging a ditch trying to get anyone to pay any attention and come back to me. But once you have those people, keep that relationship. Yeah. Now you're watering the flowers, Terry. Yeah. 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 And which is a whole lot easier than digging the holes. Right. Yeah. So where do people find you? What would you like them to do? How can we engage with you more? So you can go to my website and it's uh, my name, Terry M. Brown. That's Terry with one R. When you're there, Um, you'll see all of my social media. I've got all the little links. Just click whatever you follow. I'm trying to do a little of everything. Um, Yeah, so just figure out where that is. I'd love for you to sign up for my newsletter. Um, When you sign up for my newsletter, you get a list of 10 historical fiction that you've not heard of that will bring you to tears. Um, And I put out a newsletter usually. So I usually, I usually put out my newsletter twice a month and, and um, try to review at least one book and tell you a little bit about things that are going on in my life and my writing. And um, I also have a um, contact page. If you just want to ask me a question, pop right in there and, and ask me. I love to talk. So, And buy the book. Buy the yeah, book. Get the book. flowers beneath the snow. Get enemy like me. Get on a list so you hear about the third book and you can pre-order it before it gets out there. Terry. Yes. Buy the book. <laughs> I thought that was obvious. <laughs> oh, it's never obvious. We always have to tell everybody. Buy the book. Buy the book. Buy the book. Yep. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I am so absolutely thrilled to get to talk to you about this wonderful journey. The second book, third book, it's always great. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's been fantastic. All the best, Terry. Thanks. Looking forward to the third one. Well, it's been a different journey. We'll have to talk about that. (laughs) We can. Because we're going to do a third interview, right? So we're going to get that scheduled. So you guys get the book, 
talk to Terry, get on her newsletter, go grab one of those books and get on that pre-order list. You'll love them. You'll love them. If you're like anything with regards to storyline and generational dynamics and point of view from both perspectives, male and female, you'll love Terry's books. Thanks so much. Oh, you bet. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, and share. And we always love reviews. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you, Visibility Pod, for all your services and management of our podcast. This episode is sponsored by Visibility Podcasts. Connect with Visibility Pod about visibility strategy coaching, podcast tours, podcast production, platform building, content creation, and distribution. Your online presence matters. Mention this author interview to receive a discount. Get the help you need today. Email visibilitypodcasts at gmail.com. That's V-I-S-I-B-I-L-I-T-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com.